Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. When I was at college, we had chapel back in the old chapel, which you might not even know was there, just on the other side of that wall, we used to be some more buildings, and it was in the round, which meant you couldn't fall asleep because everyone was watching everybody, uh, including the principal. Uh, and we'd often have a guest uh, preacher come once a week, and I think it was Friday or Thursday chapel. And we had a guest bishop come in, uh, and Peter Adam was the principal at the time and introduced this bishop, and the reading was from Acts 16, where Paul goes to Philippi. And it's the great and amazing story of Paul and Silas in jail. You know, there's an earthquake... They're singing praises to God. The jailer thinks he's going to die. They preach the gospel. He's converted. And I thought, what a great passage for this bishop to preach on. And the bishop got up and said, this is a great passage because it reminds us of the importance of church music. At which point my heart uh, fell and I obviously uh, looked angry because on the way out of chapel, uh, you would shake the preacher's hand every week, obviously before covid uh, and you'd also shake the principal's hand on the way out. And I politely shook the bishop's hand. And I, as I shook Peter Adams' hand, he leant in and very quietly said to me, John, sometimes you just pray for me. I <laughs> <laughs> had missed the key point in the story, which is the gospel was being proclaimed. He had lost focus of what sits at the heart, indeed, of all ministry, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't get me wrong, I love singing. Singing flows from that gospel and declares that gospel. And what we have in Philippians 1 is a reminder what sits at the heart of your ministry while you're studying. And we've also got friends who are involved in mission as well. That mission, and it's a great encouragement to us. What should be at the centre of every church and ministry, the gospel? And Paul, we see here, is a good Anglican. He's got three points in his, in his opening prayer in verses 1 to 11. So firstly, we see what Paul does is he commends them for their gospel partnership. He commends them for the gospel partnership. Secondly, he encourages them with gospel-centered passion. And thirdly, we see that he prays for them a gospel-centered and each of those three things, there's, there's so much we can learn as those studying or working for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the first one we see is a gospel-centered partnership, verses 3 to 6. Paul says here, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. That word all in the Greek is repeated again and again and again, and those doing first year might even recognize the word. It's a nice, simple word. All prayers, all of you, I always pray with joy. He's overwhelmed with joy. And what brings him such joy, such happiness? Well, verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, that little word partnership is really, really important. Uh, It's the same word in the Greek as the word fellowship. Now, I think I was chatting with Mike about this a bit earlier on. That word fellowship, we've kind of reduced that word down to a cup of tea or coffee with a fellow Christian and maybe a stale biscuit. That's, that's what we reduce the word down. You have a cup of tea and a biscuit with a non-Christian friend, it's a cup of tea. You have a cup of tea with a Christian, 
fellowship. <laughs> we spiritualise the tea and the stale biscuit. By the way, good to have a cup of tea. I hope it's not stale. And have a decent cup of coffee, please. Uh, but that's not what the word means. It's far, it's far bigger, far deeper than that. It's much more close to a business partnership than to a cup of tea. Something that you would invest your money, your savings, your life into. Don Carson calls it a self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. Self-sacrificing conformity. And the shared vision here is obviously a partnership in the gospel, proclaiming the good news that Jesus is Saviour and Lord. This is what sits at the heart of Paul's partnership with his church, the preaching of the gospel. We read back, or a bit further on actually, on in chapter 4, verse 15, where Paul writes here, In those early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. This church is all in in partnering with the gospel. They actually give their money to support Paul. It's a true partnership. There's mutual giving and receiving. And it's also crucial because partnering in the gospel is not just Christians proclaiming Christ to non-Christians, which it is, but it's also how Christians mature. Christians mature as the gospel is preached. Look at verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The good work that God commenced is the work of grace that began when they first heard the gospel and believed, when he came and preached. And its continued work is growing his people in their knowledge and love of the Lord Jesus. In other words, partnership in the gospel grows followers of Jesus. It grows their assurance of salvation in Christ. It gives them confidence in his work and not their own work. Partnering in the gospel grows followers of Jesus by maturing them to be more like Jesus and carries it on to that day when he will return. And like the church in Philippi, you are training to be leaders in Christian ministry. And you, like this church, are called to be partners in the gospel. Now, my guess is most of you, that's not, not a surprise. That's what we're doing at I hope that's not a surprise. If it is, please chat to me afterwards or one of the, one of the faculty or staff. Uh, my question is, let, let's look at what that means then. I think we're in agreement on what it means. It means not just to be, to be involved, but actually to be deeply invested. To be deeply invested. Now, one of my favourite things to have for breakfast is bacon and egg roll. Particularly if I've gone for a bit of a cycle and you've kind of got that hunger, you come back... The, the barbecue sauce is just dripping off the edge and the egg's not overcooked, so when you poke it, the yolk comes out. Oh, anyway, making myself hungry. <laughs> we need some fellowship after this, bacon and egg rolls. <laughs> Friends, the chicken is involved in your bacon and egg roll, but the pig is committed. <laughs> and so I'm saying, don't be a chicken, be a pig. <laughs> Maybe the first time in really tough where you've been told to be a pig. In other words, you've got to be, you've got to be all invested 
not just part of you, all of you, your character, your life, you are shaped by the gospel to serve the Lord Jesus. In other words, you're not just involved in Jesus' church and you're not just an employee if you're working in, in, a, in an organisation or a church or you're hoping to. You're not just an employee of that church. No, you are deeply committed to the church that you or the ministry involved in as partners in the gospel. All in. Which is why I mentioned before your character is so important, not just yours. Keep the gospel at the centre of your study and your ministry. Be all in. Second, we see what Paul does is he encourages them with gospel-centred passion. Have a look at verse 7. It is right to me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending the go- and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul's gospel partnership with the Philippian church is, it is not, although it's kind of that word means business, that's not, that's not where his heart is. It's not some kind of cold business transaction. It's a partnership that binds people together with love and affection and care and concern. Look at Paul's language. It is right for me to feel this way. I have you in my heart. How I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Literally, I yearn for you in my bowels. Christ Jesus. But these are not the words of a legal contract, right? It'd be a little weird you know, kind of settling <laughs> on your house. I yearn for you with the bowels of my affection. It's a little weird, right? It's closer to an almost Valentine's Day card or something. <laughs> Marriage vows, then a business partnership. So why is Paul kind of using this very uh, affective language? Well, it's because all of them share God's grace with Jesus. That word share, once again, is the word fellowship. The same Greek word is there. See, Paul cherishes these people because he knows that whether he's in prison and on trial for the gospel, they are partners with him in God's grace. They've all received the same gift. They were all just as unworthy of the love and mercy of God. In other words, the joy of fellowship, commitment and partnership is not in circumstances but in Christ. When you share in grace, you share in joy. There are times at college where it's tough work, right? You're trying to learn your principal parts table. Just finished your Greek intensive, there's a big theology essay, or if you're on mission or in your church or any ministry, there'll be times where it is very tough. And the temptation is to say, this should be easier. I mean, I'm meant to be joyful. And there'll be moments of joy. But what sits at the heart of gospel partnership and joy is the fact that you share in grace with them. That, that never changes. Never changes. And so Paul encourages them with gospel Passion. That for you is, have you lost your joy of serving God's people? Has it become perfunctory? Has it become exhausting? It's worth reflecting upon. And it's worth asking the question, have I forgotten 
that I actually share the most amazing gift with these people I'm ministering with and to. One thing I love about uh, college and about uh, St. Jude's is we have people from all different backgrounds. We have about 42-ish nationalities, language groups, cultural groups, new migrants, refugees, people who earn lots of money, people who earn no money, old, young, somewhere in between. Uh, A whole bunch of people who, humanly speaking, have nothing together in common at all. It's a weird slice of life. But we all share the most important thing, which is God's grace. And that's why it is beautiful. Do you have that gospel-shaped passion for ministry? Thirdly, notice that Paul prays for them a gospel-centered prayer, verses 9 and 11, 11. He begins this prayer in verse 9 by praying that their love may abound more and more. Now, by the way, he's not saying that they got no love. You're a bunch of, you know, mean-hearted so-and-sos. No, no. His prayer is that their love for God and each other would increase and overflow. And overflow. In other words, love without a limit. And although it's to be love without limit, it is not love without purpose, not love without a direction. It's, it's not restricted, but it is directed. <clears throat> Notice that Paul writes that their love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. In other words, your love is shaped by your knowledge. We need both love and knowledge in the same way the boat needs both an engine and a rudder. You can have all the knowledge in the world, but no love is like having a really good rudder and GPS system on your boat, but no engine. You're not going anywhere, even if you think you know where you should go. And if you're filled with passion to serve God and his people, but you've got no direction, no clarity about how to use that, you're like an out-of-control hovercraft. Exciting, sure, but somewhat terrifying. (laughs) Out of control, going everywhere, unintentionally hurting people. The gospel actually is. Well, that little word there, knowledge, is not just general knowledge, stuff. It's not being able to solve the word in three or fewer goes, which, if you can, kudos to you, that's not what Paul's speaking about. It's the knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's that kind of knowledge. The knowledge that, hopefully at college, you're learning these things. That makes sense, doesn't it? If we want to know how to love God, then we need to learn more about him. If I want to love my wife and grow an understanding of what pleases her, then I need to learn about my wife. Now, I do love my wife dearly, and what I've learned is that leaving my clothes on the floor is not an act of love. I've learned that through knowledge and depth of insight. (laughs) In other words, if you want to grow in your love of God, then you must grow in your understanding of what pleases him. To seek to do his will. And which is why the scriptures reading God's word is so crucial. Coming to chapel is not just an extra add-on. It's part of a community of believers learning about what God says in his word. When you're doing your essays and study, it's not just the marks. It is learning how to love God and helping others on that journey. 
just as, as, as our, the knowledge of God and his word serves as an incentive to Christian love, so love is necessary for a deepening knowledge of God. They kind of work together. And the goal of this, this love and knowledge is in verse 10. This is the kind of end point. It says, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. You are to pursue what is best in the knowledge of God, what is best in our relationship with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, what is best in joyful obedience, so that we may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus. By the way, friends, this is not a a prayer for sinless perfectionism. It's a prayer that we, like the Philippians, would live with gospel priorities, able to discern what is best. And we all want what's best. That's kind of the general vibe, right? We want what's best for our lives. We want what's best for our ministry. If we're married, we want what's best for our marriage. And if we have kids, what's best for our kids? What's best for our study? And ultimately, what's best for your ministry is that you know and love and trust Jesus. What is best for your study is that you know and that you love and that you trust Jesus. And what is best for your marriage and your kids is that you get the idea that you know and that you love and that you trust Jesus. When we have a gospel priority, it gives us a lens to see what is ultimately best. And what's the result? Well, the result's in verse 11. All of this is to the glory and praise of God. That's our goal as ministry leaders, as those training for gospel service in churches or in mission organisations or in parachurch for our friends here from mission organisations. That's the ultimate goal, is the glory and praise of God. And so by seeking to be a ministry leader that partners in the gospel and by seeking to be a ministry leader that serves with gospel-centred passion and by seeking to be a gospel leader that prays gospel-centred prayers, what you are doing is bringing glory to the God who has redeemed us. That is what gospel partnership is. That is what Paul is encouraging this church in Philippi, and that is what God is encouraging us to do. Let me pray that we will be women and men who seek these partnerships. Our Heavenly Father, as we seek to partner in the gospel, may our love abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Heal us with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to your glory and praise. Amen.